Hey guys, grab your Bibles. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And this is the second part of a series uh, that we're going to finish Thursday night. And I hope you come out Thursday night. I'm really fired up about that time together with you as well. Acts chapter 2, the title of the message is The Power Needed Today. The Power Needed Today. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacted the trajectory of the world 2,000 years ago? Another way of saying it is, have you ever considered the gospel's influence these last 2,000 years? I mean, we know that Jesus, these last 2,000 years, is the most powerful persona, most powerful person that has impacted world history. We know that Christianity has brought an incredible amount of wholeness to the earth, to planet earth. Now that's not to mean that everything done in the name of Jesus has been authentic Christianity. But the truth of the matter is, as H.G. Wells said, the great historian, when he comes to write history, he must give first place to the penniless teacher from Nazareth. Here's the question I want you to be thinking about. Have you ever thought about, like 2,000 years ago, you know, how the gospel, how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how the work of the Spirit in the life of the church impacted the direction of the world. Okay, the world governing power at the time was the great Roman Empire. Israel was a conquered people 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when he gave his life there in Jerusalem where he ascended as we are talking about. Okay, so Israel is a conquered people. They're under the thumb of Rome. They have some liberty But the great empire of the day was the Roman Empire. Uh, What do you know about Rome? Of course, you've probably seen Ben-Hur. How many of you have seen Ben-Hur out of curiosity? Okay. How about Gladiator? Could you raise your hand? Let me see. Okay. You know, we've seen depictions of the Roman Empire. We've seen shields. We've seen swords. We've seen, you know, battering rams. We've seen their helmets and things. Here's what you may not know. Okay, there's 27 New Testament books. Think about this, 27 New Testament books. Okay, 17 out of the 27 New Testament books were written during a time that the emperor of Rome, the emperor of Rome was named Nero, okay? And Nero was not a good guy. Nero had been married twice, both to men. The first time he got married, he was... Well, the husband, the second time, he was the, uh, he was the bride. Aren't you glad you came tonight to hear that? Okay, anyways, all right, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, um, you go back 2,000 years ago, you got some crazy things taking place. The point is that this was a generation that the lines that defined sensuality nearly didn't exist. I mean, the idea of a closet you know, where self-defeating realities exist, where, you know, you shouldn't really do these things, so you got to do them behind the scenes, in the closet. Man, in a large part of the Roman Empire, there was no closet. I mean, everything was out in the open. There was no clear lines that defined sensuality and sexuality. Let me tell you, when Paul brought the gospel to the city of Ephesus, which is kind of a, kind of a modern-day San Francisco in the sense that it was a port city, 200,000 people. I mean, man, they were an incredibly religious group, incredibly religious community. And they were faithful to their religion. It involved temple prostitutes. It's like, not to be crass or anything, but man, 
you know, the guys were faithful to, you know, worship. They were going into these temples and all kinds of crazy things were taking place sexually. And with regard to sex trafficking, which is a big issue today, and it should be, the devaluing of women. Well, you go back 2,000 years ago, and I'm not going to get into the details. I mean, you had horrible sex trafficking with young boys, with all kinds of crazy things that were taking place to them. Let me tell you, for the most part 2,000 years ago, in the Roman Empire, human life was cheap. I mean, the entertainment in Rome actually involved killing and butchering humans in a coliseum that was actually funded by the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Did you know that? When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, they took the booty, they took the gold, they took the menorah back to uh, Rome, and they funded the building of the Roman Colosseum that became this entertainment center of horrible debauchery and the devaluing of men. Speaking of women, oh my goodness, women barely had rights 2,000 years ago. On the other hand, communication, trade, transportation ran like clockwork. Rome built roads all throughout the empire, more interdependent and connected than ever, yet Rome was increasingly becoming unstable, which led to emperor worship. In order to retain some security in the empire, uh, the emperor himself became the chief pontifus maximus, the chief religious and political ruler, and you were required to worship him. Hey, it gives some perspective. When Paul penned his book to, to the Romans, and the book, of course, is called Romans, in chapter 10, he said, you must confess Jesus as, can someone tell me, Lord. You've got to take a stand. The emperor is not God, not your allegiance, not to the state. I mean, the true and living God is the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to take a stand with regard to allegiance. Jesus is the Lord, and he, he was raised from the dead three days later. Look, here's what is, getting back to the original question, imagine a world that did not experience an interruption to the trajectory that it was on. Imagine what the last 2,000 years would have looked like when it comes to the devaluing of humanity, when it, become, when it comes to dictatorship, when it comes to the breakdown of the family, when it comes to like the abuse of children and women. You know, today there's a lot of talk about what's happening in our world, particularly in our own country. We are experiencing a breakdown. We're experiencing a disintegration that is before our very eyes. I, I don't need to talk about it. You know what is taking place. And many people are tempted to kind of think, you know, is God losing or something, you know? You know Stephanie and I were driving in Northern California just a few days ago, and there was a sticker in the back of the car that, that read, God is dead. And I was looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, maybe you're God, you know, and, and stuff. And, and I so much wanted to be able to pull up beside this person and roll down my window and said, look, good news is he's not dead. I just spoke to him a few minutes ago, you know. So it's like, which is an old Billy Graham saying. Um, but we, we might think, well, golly, things are just so bad. It's like, I don't know, is, is the darkness like winning? Is God losing? Look, this is what I want you to understand. What we're seeing today in many ways, is nothing new. It's just on a larger scale. 
Is the breakdown taking place faster and faster? Yes. And one of the reasons is because we're more interdependent than ever before, and we have communication lines open. So it's more difficult to isolate defeating realities in regions throughout the world. It's like, it's like the bad stuff is now in the bloodstream. That's why we see things picking up in a big way. But, but I want you to hear this. What was 2,000 years ago when Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and the rest of Mary and Joanna, man, when they're like making Christ known, what was, is, In other words, it's like we are facing a generation very similar to what our brothers and sisters faced 2,000 years ago. Hey, listen, there's big-time hope. There's big-time hope if we understand the source of our strength. If we understand the power of the gospel. Can I hear a big amen to that? Hey, if the gospel's like penicillin, did it work 2,000 years ago? You better believe it. Is it going to work today? You better believe it. But it's absolutely critical That seriously now, we understand what the source of our strength is. If the gospel totally impacted the trajectory of the world 2,000 years ago, and today we are experiencing a similar breakdown that the church uh, first preached the gospel to, it tells us there's big time hope, particularly if we understand the source of our strength. That is critical, you guys. Seriously, it's really, really, really critical. Because you see, as I mentioned this morning, we are the counterculture to culture. It's like Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. it, Which is to mean that death itself has no power over us. The ultimate form of breakdown and disintegration. I've conquered death and I've conquered sin and I've conquered judgment, Jesus has told us. And that's what he accomplished. But it's critical that we understand the source of our strength. And that's why we are here in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 identifies the conception of the church. It's identifying the DNA of the church. And what comes front and center is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Look, I want you to go back with me to chapter 1. And we haven't even looked at chapter 2 yet. Sorry about that. Let's go back to chapter 1 real quick. And I want you to look at verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from, what's the next word, you guys? Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I love that. Like, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. We'll talk about why that is in just a second. He talks about a promise of the Father. Let's keep something in mind. That behind it all, behind the gospel, behind the Lord Jesus, is the most wonderful Father there could ever be. Our Heavenly Father. Can I hear another amen to that? He is awesome. A good, good Father. I mean, this promise is I'm going to bless you with my presence. Pour out my Spirit. That's a metaphor. Generously bless you with who I am. So, wait in Jerusalem. Now, I I want you to notice. Jump down to verse 14. It says, They all continued with one accord in prayer. Chapter 1, verse 14. All continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This was after the ascension. They're in Jerusalem. What are they doing? But they're praying, actually. For 10 days between the ascension, we talked about this morning, and Pentecost, which we'll get to in just a little bit, they are praying. And it's a mixed group, 120. 
Men and women, I love it. They're in the upper hill of Jerusalem. In fact, Pastor Jeff, when he wakes up, and he he might be up right now, probably is, he's going to look out his window, and he's going to look across the valley of Hinnom, and he's going to see the very hill that they were gathered uh, in. I just, or you know, there, praying uh, for 10 days before the Holy Spirit descended upon them. Okay? You say, Greg, where are we going this? We have a specific objective. And that is, I want you to understand that in verse 14, as they are praying and as they are waiting on the Lord, which simply means giving, giving Him their attention for 10 days, okay? They are not waiting for money and they're not waiting for celebrity and they're not waiting for military and they're not waiting to be a majority, silent or otherwise. They are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the source of our strength. Our objective is this, to understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the most immediate context here, as well as in the broader context of the Scripture. So that's where we're headed. But let's break this down. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's study this. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Well, the word pente, if you just break down the word Pentecost, pente means 50. So this is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost was on or one, I should say, of three holy days that were required by God for all male Jews to actually present themselves to the Lord. They were called pilgrim festivals. One was Passover, which took place uh, some 50 days prior. The other was Pentecost, or Shavuot, which is taking place now. And the other is a fall feast, which is tabernacles. And all of these holy days actually speak of the person and work of Jesus. His death, His burial... Pentecost speaks of the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit descending on the church. Tabernacle speaks of the reign of Christ on planet earth. So this meant, at this time in Jerusalem, in the first century, you have Jews who have traveled all throughout the world. They're in Jerusalem. I mean, there's hundreds and thousands that are there in the city. In fact, verse 5 tells us devout men are in Jerusalem, and it's a bona fide international gathering. It says uh, under every... Uh, every nation under heaven, or from many lands. And and in verse 9 through 11, just to jump ahead real quick, it mentions that there are those in Jerusalem from Turkey to Egypt to Libya to Rome to Crete, Arabs living south of Damascus. So look up here for a second. I just got to get this. Jesus has said, okay, I want you to be in Jerusalem during Pentecost. Because let me tell you, historically, Pentecost was believed to be the day the Lord met the children of Israel in the wilderness when they had left Egypt. And He had given Israel the law or the instructions when He met them powerfully. And in fact, there was thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes and things. An incredible dramatization of the presence of Almighty God. Look, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, because I'm going to meet you in a really big way. Look, what we are studying and reading is really the ground floor of Christianity here. And we're just seeing the very beginning of the DNA of the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of God exploding throughout the earth, beginning in the city of Jerusalem. 
In fact, just, it's just another interesting connection. You can see it through a Jewish lens. See it through a Hebraic lens. Okay, because Jews in Jerusalem are thinking, oh, this is a day, 13 years later, or 13 years earlier, excuse me, you have the Lord meeting us in a unique way in the desert, Mount Sinai, giving the law, lightning and fire and all this incredible drama. Okay, now 1,300 years later, we're in Jerusalem. And, um, and, and, and interestingly, you know, uh, in Sinai, you have like this very day, 3,000s that were judged for their idolatry. On this day, this Pentecost, you're going to have 3,000 Jews coming to faith in Jesus Christ after Peter preaches the gospel. The parallels are very interesting. And so, look, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, as we continue in verse 11, they were all with, what's the next word, you guys? One accord in one place. Now, what does that mean? Um, that, that term, one accord, is very interesting. It means one in mind. But there's a reason why they're all on the same page together. It's like they've been tuned up by the same realities. They've been tuned up by the same truths, that Jesus is Lord, that He has resurrected, that the Lord is going to meet Him in a powerful way, that there is a purpose to their life to impact Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they've all been tuned up by these realities, and they're in one accord. Hey, it reminds us of the importance of what we believe, actually. Because if we were to go back 2,000 years ago and look at these 120 and Joanna's there and Mary's there and Peter and James and John and so forth, these guys are all believing the same thing. They believe Jesus is alive. They believe he's made atonement for the sin. They believe he's coming again. Hey, don't let anybody ever tell you that what you believe is not important. Because what you believe informs your thinking and your priorities and your values. I mean, we are belief-driven. If someone were to say, hey man, it doesn't matter what you believe, well, that's a promotion of a belief in and of itself. You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, they are trying to promote it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's very difficult to get out of the importance of belief. How many of you are tracking, me? well, tracking with me on that point? Okay, just two of you. Uh-oh. No, okay, I'll have to repeat it. No, I won't. <laughs> Anyways, it's very important what you believe. And for someone to say, oh, it really doesn't matter so long as you're sincere about whatever you believe in, Hey, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely deceived. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There is such a thing as truth. And God has revealed it to us, who he is, who we are in relationship with his son. So they are in one accord. Now, check out verse 2, you guys. Suddenly there came a sound, which means there was amplification. There's like this amplification that takes place from heaven, probably like overhead. That's how I would interpret it. And the sound is as a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say a wind went through the home. It's as a uh, rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of, can someone tell me? Fire. Well, let me tell you biblically, fire is likened to the Lord Himself. The Bible says the Lord is a consuming fire. And historically, to Jews, they're thinking, man, this day is like when the Lord gave the law. And there was fire atop Mount Sinai. And it's like when the Lord 
you know, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's identifying, this is my people. It's like he was entering in relationship with them. He was entering covenant with them. This is my bride. This is my son. I mean, those big ideas. So for there to be fire, this like tongue of fire, it's like what exactly it looked like? I know it's like this tongue of fire. Atop 120 of the disciples in Jerusalem, the Lord is identifying Special relationship with them. That this is a group that is worshiping me in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you another thing I think of. This is all very important. I think of Elijah who called fire down from heaven. It's again, the Lord is likened to fire. Heat. Warmth. It's like you feel it. It's like, whoa. It's like we were talking about this morning. You know, we've all been in a place where we're studying the Bible, and then all of a sudden, a verse that we have, you know, known before, read before, jumps out at us and moves us deeply. It's like, man, I felt that. I mean, this is a demonstration of God's presence in a powerful way. And I just want to say, man, we need we need fire to come down, if you will. Can I hear a big amen? It's another way of simply saying we need the Lord's strength. We need His help. Okay, again, they're not waiting for money. They're not waiting for military. They're not waiting for, mili- for assets. They're waiting for the Lord. And, and, and you're going to see a work that's taking place in Jerusalem that's going to impact the known world at this time and it's going to set the world in a completely different trajectory. We just need to remember these things. Check out verse 3. And one sat upon each of them and they were all, this is very important, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here you have fire atop the disciples' heads. It speaks of God's active presence in their life. And what you have here is the Lord is empowering the church to boldly communicate to an international gathering that is in Jerusalem at this time. And they are communicating in two ways. If you jump down to verse 6, they are communicating in a language that is being understood by an international gathering. You have Peter speaking in a language that he had not formally learned that is being understood by, I don't know, some guy from Persia maybe. And and what they're doing is they're declaring the wonderful works of God. And maybe in that they're proclaiming the incredible work that has taken place in Messiah, the Son of God. I don't know what, but they're praising God. And people are hearing this. And then later Peter is going to step up and he's, going to, and he's going to say, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth is going to preach the gospel. 3,000 are going to come to know the Lord. Let's narrow our focus here. We want to focus in on four very important perspectives. On the source of our strength. Because clearly we see like the roots of our faith going all the way back to Jerusalem. That the DNA of the source of strength that the early church was experienced was clearly the presence of God. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? Everybody tracking with that? We're going to narrow some perspectives that I'll identify in just a little bit. And then I want us to pray. I want us just like just to look to the Lord and ask Him to meet us 
in a beautiful way here tonight. And I want you to prepare your heart for just that. But before we get into the four perspectives, look, the Bible makes it very clear who the Holy Spirit is. Before I get into these perspectives, the Holy Spirit is Almighty God. He's the third person of the triune nature of God. Jesus said, you must be born again of the Spirit. You've been born biologically. You have biological DNA. It's like the Heavenly Father wants to give you His DNA in Christ. So it's like a new identity in relationship with the Heavenly Father and Jesus. Isn't that awesome or what? You must be born again. And he told that to a very committed Jewish man by the name of Nicodemus. Like, Nicodemus, it's great that you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Awesome. You are the chosen people God chose uh, you to reveal himself to and through. But it's like he wants intimacy. He wants relationship. You must be born again. You'll neither see the kingdom nor you'll enter it. You must be born again of the Spirit. Second thing, watch this. When you are born of the Spirit... You get assurance that you're a child of God. The Bible says His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8, 16. Then, watch this, then it results in a beautiful relationship where the Heavenly Father is Abba. He's our Papa. That the basis of our relationship with God is unconditional love, like a child-parent relationship. See, Like if Paul was here, the Apostle Paul, he might say to us, he goes, look, I used to have a slave mentality. My sense of well-being was based upon my performance. I was a committed Jew. I was blameless. I was really committed. But if you asked me for a sense of wholeness and confidence before God, it was based upon my resume. It was based upon my performance. And of course, there's all kinds of relationships that exist in life. And, you know, depending upon what relationship, the basis of the relationship can be different. If, if you work for someone, the basis of that relationship is a, is a contract. You work, I pay you. Um, if it's a neighbor, it's like, well, we have, I have a relationship with my neighbor. I may not really know them, but we do neighborly things and, and, and kind things for one another and, and watch each other's house and stuff, but may not be buddy-buddies. But when you are born again, it's like the Almighty God becomes your Father. You have His unconditional love and favor all the time. That is great news. His unconditional favor. That's the basis of the relationship. It it, it is unconditional love in Christ. So it goes from being born again, assurance, to Abba. Okay, let's get to these perspectives. We have it up on the screen. Look. Perspective number one, and we're going to pray in just a little bit. Uh, we need to understand to be filled with the Spirit is actually a command. And it's being refreshed in who we are in Christ on a daily basis. How many of you ever heard that scripture? It's Ephesians 5.18. It tells us, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. How many of you ever heard that verse? Raise your hand, you guys. Okay, so the majority of us have. You know, what is being said there? Well, actually, in the original Greek... It's calling us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time deal. So it is saying that on a daily basis, we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the Spirit actually shines the truth of Christ into our hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to testify of Jesus, 
To actually be filled with the Spirit has to do with the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't have primarily to do with Him because what He's doing is He's bringing who we are in Christ to our hearts on a, on a, on a daily basis. It's almost like, you know, there's projection going on. There's a projector and it's projecting light and images on the screen. The Holy Spirit is like a projector that projects to your heart that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are empowered. You are a child of God. You have His love. You, you have His favor upon your life. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And how important, therefore, it is that we are filled afresh on a daily basis with the Holy Spirit. Would you not agree with that? Watch this. To get buzzed, to be drunk, it, to be intoxicated is to experience a comfort and a confidence um, that is a result of actually being numbed and dumbed down and desensitized. When you get buzzed, you may feel a sense of comfort and even confidence, but it's not based upon reality. So it's like, hey man, I can take you on. You're like, oh my gosh, my friend's going to kill dear. You know, It's like this overconfidence not based on reality. On the other hand, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, well, uh, there's true comfort because I know the Lord is with me. There's true joy because I know He's working all things out for the good in my life. There's true courage. It's not based upon being numbed or dumbed down or desensitized, but actually because I've been made fully awake of who I am in Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? Really important. Perspective number two. Hey, we need the Holy Spirit's help to bring the right application of the Word of God in our lives as a lens to see our circumstances clearly. Boy, this is so important. It's so important because a lot of times we try to interpret our circumstances and it's like, okay, well, I got a flat tire. and What does that mean? Does God like me anymore? Is he upset with me? I mean, how do you interpret his circumstances? Think about this. On this day, on this day, actually we didn't read it, but people, it's 9 a.m. in the morning and they're speaking in other languages. Some of the people think that they are intoxicated or they've gone mad. So people are interpreting like what's happening in this home of 120 followers of Jesus Christ and they're thinking, man, they're crazy. When in reality, what's taking place, according to Peter, is this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy according to Joel. He said, no, you guys, I mean, they're not buzzed and they're not crazy. This is actually a work of Almighty God. And it tells us, you see, that the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to understand more accurately the circumstances of our life. We need Him to bring application of the Word of God to us. I mean, that is so much praying in the Spirit. I am, I am having a listening ear, as Jesus said, if you have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring the truth of the Word of God afresh to your life. And, and so I would say this. Hey, tonight if you're going through it, a, a difficulty, a challenge, adversity, physical, spiritual, emotional, that you would give your attention to the Lord and say, Lord, I ask by the Holy Spirit you would help me. 
to see what's going on in my life. What is it do you want to say to me? Because the Holy Spirit is going to take the Word of God and bring a very specific application to your life. The Bible says we live by faith, not by sight. So in other words, what we see is important. We need to use our eyes. But what we see does not determine ultimate reality in our life. Can you see, therefore, how important it is that the Holy Spirit is helping us? Because He is going to bring that right lens to our life that we need. Hey, perspective number three. Man, this is so important. We need the Holy Spirit's power in order to name the name of Jesus and to make the gospel of Jesus known in this generation. Now, we're going to study Peter's message, which is going to come in a little bit Thursday night. I encourage you to come on out. I can't wait for it because... Look, we live in a totally different time. I, as I said, I grew up in so- South Bay, but the South Bay is, is beautifully dynamic, more dynamic than it was when I was in high school. And by that I mean, man, we live in a global community in the South Bay. Would you not agree with that? I mean, you have people from all around the world that live in Los Angeles. There's 600,000 Jewish friends in Los Angeles alone. So we really need God's help in bringing the gospel to a very dynamic international group that exists, very similar in principle to what existed 2,000 years ago. So we're going to be talking about being confident in our faith, confidently communicating the gospel. It's going to be a wonderful time together. But listen, you guys, we need the Holy Spirit's help to proclaim the name of Jesus. How many of you believe there's power in the name of Jesus? There's power in the name of Jesus. It's true. The demons tremble not in the name of faith or not in the name of the gospel. That's important. Those terms are important. In the name of Jesus, demons tremble. The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you something, our blessed country, and I'm thinking of Robert, you know, we dedicated Adora this morning at second service of his beautiful five-month-old daughter thing. I'm so thankful he's 21-year-old, you know, serving in the army, and God bless him, and God bless all of our dads and grandparents and grandmothers who served our country, but let me tell you what is happening in our country. What's happening is, is that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not enough It's never been enough. Just because I have liberty doesn't mean really I have life. We were made to know the true and living God. Flat out fact. The gospel is true. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Listen, the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the strength to proclaim Jesus. That is absolutely necessary today. There's no other issue on planet earth that is more important than who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and what a person does with that. A person's not saved by their opinion of the book of Jonah. That's important, but, you know, they're not saved by that. They're not saved whether they believe in a young earth or an old earth, but they are saved on what they do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important issue is who He is, and we need a generation empowered by the Holy Spirit that is unashamed to name the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you what's happening today, you guys, is the call of discipleship. And Pastor Jet was talking about discipleship. 
the call of disciples. When Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know what's happening? Is that's coming to the surface today. What the real meaning of that is. I mean, when Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, he's saying to Peter, James, and John, you guys, you've got to deny yourself. Don't follow me as a means to an end. I mean, if you're following me for a position in Jerusalem, that's just like the wrong motive. God is not a butler in the sky, and I just, okay, look, you exist for me. No, no, listen, follow me because I'm true. You must deny yourself. You must pick up the cross. Look, the cross was the lowest form of execution in the Roman Empire, you know, not good people are on the cross. I, I mean, those who are on the cross, that's the minority. That's the despised of culture. That's the, that's the outcast. You must be willing to pick up a cross. You must be willing, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, to stand for what is right, if that means you are the only one. That's what he's saying. And that busts consumerism, which is like, what's in it for me? And how does it align with my agenda? And, you know, it, it's about you know, my world, and is it comfortable and convenient, and so forth. And it it busts commercialism, which is like, what is of value? Is that which is measured by whether it's popular or not? Does it sell? But wait wait a second. Purity doesn't sell. And marriage defined only between a man and a woman doesn't sell. And being a bold follower of Jesus doesn't sell. And let me tell you, love that suffers long and is kind is not reactive doesn't sell. And godly disciplines of prayer and Bible study and fellowship and evangelism, they don't sell. I'll tell you what sells is the spirit of Antichrist and relativism. That's what sells. But look, there are some things that are just true, and they're always true. We talked about it this morning. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, love is right. Jesus is true. And the reality is we need the help of the Holy Spirit to deny ourselves and pick up the cross and just like, man, I am willing to stand alone. And the reason is, is because there's not a greater reality. There's nothing more true than the Lord. I'm going to do what is right no matter what. Man, we need the Holy Spirit's help. Can I hear an amen to that? And number four, man, we need the Holy Spirit's power just to help us be available to see the individual and demonstrate God's love to all people. In Acts chapter 3, it tells us, and you know the story that Peter and John go to the Temple Mount. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised that Pastor Jeff and the team are going to be on the Temple Mount today. As they wake up, they're going to be on there. They're going to go there. But they're on their way there. They see a man who needs help. You know, he's paralyzed. And they, and they just take an interest in him. Like they stop and look at him. I believe personally they didn't wake up that morning thinking, you know what, we're going to raise a guy who was paralyzed you know, up and, and just see this incredible healing. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, they're just going like other Jews of the day for the ninth hour of prayer. They're keeping certain disciplines of prayer. Yeah, they want to witness for the Lord Jesus on the table, no doubt about it, but they're in a flow of like thousands of other Jews at that particular time. But all of a sudden, just hear this, they stop and they just take an interest. It's like they just make themselves available to help this guy. And and the guy wants some money, and I understand that he needs some help. And then Peter says, silver and gold we don't have. 
Now, if you just pause there, I'm sure the guy's thinking, oh, that's a bummer. You know, I want some silver and gold. But you know, there's actually some better things than silver and gold. And even though we might not have a lot of silver and gold, as believers, we have more to offer than we may think. But the thing is, is that if we don't make ourselves available to just like see the individual, we, we won't see the potential miracle that could be at play. Listen, you have a whole lot more to offer that young person or that elderly person or that, that you know, child here in the ministry or to your father or to your mother than you may think. You have the wisdom of God. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have love. You have forgiveness to give. Here's the thing. We need the Holy Spirit to help us see the individual. To just say, Lord, here I am. I am available. And I'm going to demonstrate love to all people. The question ultimately is, okay, look, that's all true. We've been talking about those four perspectives. But what is essential to actually being filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the answer. Please hear me. Man, prayer is essential. It's so critical that we just ask the Lord for His help. He said, yeah, Greg, we need to get like prayer back in the schools. Uh, We need to get prayer back in the church. I mean, the Bible tells us that uh, the Lord says, you know, call to me and I will answer you. He said, look, my house will be called the house of prayer. I loved what was said earlier. You know, Jesus said, if you just ask and seek and knock, the Father will be so gracious to you. You ask for bread, he will never give you a stone. He will not He will not manipulate you. He doesn't play around with us. You ask Him for help, He will help you. Guaranteed, the Holy Spirit will help you. Is that not awesome or what? It's like, you know, ask for fish, He's not going to slip you a scorpion. The point being, He's not going to play games with you. He's not going to manipulate you. He's the most wonderful, gracious Father. He is going to help you. I think it's interesting. We're almost done. We want to pray, but don't pack up yet. Listen, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I mean, this is after Pentecost. This is after 3,000 coming to the Lord. This is after this time. Maybe months after. Please hear this. You know what the early church is doing? They are actually praying for boldness. Uh, Peter and John actually raised this guy I was referring to of, up from his paralysis in Acts chapter 3. And you have the leadership that are upset that the doctrine of Jesus is being known. They're in the epicenter of Jewish identity, the Temple Mount. So they're arrested. And they're just like seeking the Lord. And they're asking the Lord for boldness. And we have the scripture on the screen. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Check this out. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. It's like, wait, 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 time out. Why are they asking the Lord for boldness? Why are they praying? I'll tell you why. Because courage and boldness and witness for Christ is absolutely impossible without the source of strength and giftedness of the Holy Spirit. We just go, Lord, I mean, Okay, Lord, tonight, will you help me afresh to be a believer that allows the Holy Spirit 
to bring the truth of, you, of your word and who I am in Christ as a lens to my life so I can see my circumstances in a much more accurate way. I can see your presence in my Lord, Lord, will you shine like a spotlight the Holy Spirit in my heart to just help me see who I really am as a king's kid afresh? Lord, would you, would you like recapture my heart? I mean, I, mean I, I love you and I worship you. I don't, I, I don't worship because I'm worthy. I worship you because you are worthy. But I just, like, I, I just want my, my heart on, on fire for you, Lord. And Lord, I, I just need, look, I need your help. I need your help to see the individual. I, I need your help to be courageous. I need your help to be bold. I need, we, we, we all need him. Can I hear an amen? We all need him. And you know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, look, you have not because you ask not. But just think about that. Because when you ask for something, you are open to it. You want it. It's like being at a restaurant and the waitress Mis- mistakes the order. She brings the wrong order to you. You ever been in a restaurant? They're like about ready to give you a, a hamburger. You know, you ask for pasta and, and you're like, oh, no, you, we didn't order that. You know, we didn't ask for it. And so it goes to another table. But if you ask for it, then it's like, hey, you know, put it down. It's like the Lord wants us to ask. Will you ask Him to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit? Some of you are carrying burdens. Do you know that we can come to Him boldly tonight? We can bring what's like just breaking us down and is burdening us. We can say, Lord, could you bring a breakthrough here? Father, help. Hey, hey, let's do it. We have not because we ask not. Listen, I'm going to pray. And church family, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to get up out of your seat, and it may be all of you, which would be fine, just to get up out of your seat, and I want you to just come on down, and I, and I want to pray for you. And that just, just that we ask the Holy Spirit to afresh shine the truth of who we are in Christ. Give us the boldness that we need. Help us with availability. Okay, so we're going to pray, and then I'm just going to invite you down, and then I want to pray for you. So Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for speaking to us and encouraging us, Lord. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would meet us in a powerful way. You are here with us, so open our eyes, Lord, to you afresh. Lord, those who are carrying big burdens financially, physically, emotionally, I just pray Lord, you would give them a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, you lift them up in a big, big way. And I ask these things in your name. So look, we're going to 